Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Tuesday, uh, happy almost day before Hump Day. Or it's almost—it's not almost. It is the day before Hump Day. Uh, we have a fantastic show uh, planned for you today. Did I say welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock? I am Jason Whitlock, your host. I did say that. All right. Anyway, uh, we have a fantastic show planned for you today. Steve Kim, Shamika Michelle, Delano Squires will be here. Uh, we will uh, talk. Football, rap, and dads. Football, rap, and dads. Uh, We'll bring in Steve Kim first, uh, and we'll set the stage by talking about uh, Seattle's surprising, shocking victory over the Denver Broncos last night. Geno Smith, at least for a half, and really throughout the whole game, looks like a legitimate NFL starter. They knock off... Uh, the Broncos last night when Denver's new coach, Nathaniel Hackett, I think that's Paul Hackett's son. I used to have run-ins with Paul Hackett when he was the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs years ago during the Joe Montana era in Kansas City. His son got off to an awful start. He chose a 64-yard field goal attempt at the end of the game. Would have been a game winner. Rather than letting Russell Wilson go for it on fourth and five, uh, the field goal uh, attempt obviously missed. Russell Wilson has defended the situation. Uh, It seemed really, really stupid. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett taking a lot of heat uh, for a stupid, stupid decision. They gave up damn near everything in a trade to acquire Russell Wilson and get into game one and say, you know what? We're going to go with our kicker and a Hail Mary kick rather than put the ball in Russell Wilson's hand uh, here at the end. That was crazy. Russell Wilson, you know, not spectacular last night, but they should have, they dominated that game, really. Their running backs, two different running backs fumbled at the one-yard line on separate occasions, costing uh, Denver that game. Uh, but anyway, uh, Steve, I want to uh, bring you in, and we'll start with the, the most obvious situation, the field goal at the end, uh, and the decision <coughs> to kick that field goal at the end. Uh Bat spit crazy is what I was thinking. It so shocked Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. They were they watched Russell Wilson run off the field, go stand on the sidelines, but they just thought it was just a normal timeout. They were reluctant to say, hey, they're going to kick a field goal. And I knew it. I could tell by the way Russell <laughs> jogged off the field when he was on the field. I was like, I think they're kicking. And, and Troy and, and Joe Buck thought it was so crazy they never said anything until the last second. Second, they were like, "Oh my God, they're gonna kick a field goal here." Uh, that was a really stupid decision. You think it'll haunt Nathaniel Hackett the rest of this season? It already does. 
I saw something I'd never seen before in any level of football. Hackett is the only coach that ever set up for a 64-yard field goal. Not settle when there's two <laughs> seconds left, there's no other option. He literally said, okay, guys, let's let's set up here for a 64-yard field goal. I mean, I'm watching this game, and Warren Sharp, your guy, had a great screenshot. On third and 14, there was a minute 11. So they throw a pass that stays inbounds, which doesn't matter. You had three timeouts, or you had multiple timeouts. So I'm thinking, okay, fourth and five. Now, as the clock is going to a minute, 55 seconds, 50 seconds, 45 seconds. I'm thinking, okay, take your time, take your time. All you need is another five to 10 yards, maybe get 15, best case scenario. And then the clock starts running to 35, to 30. And at that point, Jason, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to play a little Russian roulette. They're going to go for it on fourth and five and really grind the clock, even though they had multiple timeouts. Now, I wouldn't have done it that way. Then as they call timeout, I'm thinking, boy, they played that kind of close. But multiple timeouts were good and then when he starts jogging off the field and they actually said well here comes the kicker i said no no uh this is can't hack it and it just dawned on me oh my god he is related to paul hackett one of the most hated coaches at three different places pitt usc and kansas city now you know why I've never seen this before. This is like a guy who graduates high school, and you ask him, so what are you going to do? Go to college, trade school, get a job? And he says, you know what? I'm going to try this lottery thing. I'm going to buy a 1,000 scratch-offs. That's your plan. I, I've, I've never seen it like that. And people say, well, it's only one game. You know, let me just tell you this. In a league like this, one game is the difference between a bye week or not getting a home playoff game. You can say what you want, that there's 17 games, but Jason, they all matter. It's your first time as a head coach, and already your locker room is questioning Ugh. you. Everybody in that locker room has the same question as the rest of us. Hey, man, y'all just gave up the farm to acquire Russell Wilson. Yep. And, and you take the ball out of his hands in game one on the road? where he's playing Seattle, a place he, he's just created all kinds of questions and all kinds of doubt. It's like, okay, Nathaniel, he's all in with the kicker, not with Russell Wilson. That is crazy. It's, it's, I, Jason, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> go The ahead. other thing is um, you talk about game flow and the situations going on. If you look at that second half, Denver had been chipping away at that Seattle defense all half. Now, they had some red zone issues, but they were moving the ball inside the 20s. Now, in this particular situation, you just need that ball anywhere near the 40 because obviously the guy had the leg. Here's another thing. Warren Sharp put up a tweet of all the 60-plus-yard field goals that kicker had attempted. He hadn't hit any of them. So you can't even throw out, well, we're playing the percentages. No, you're not. You're absolutely not. The, another thing I found interesting, and again, I don't keep up with preseason football that much, but with a new quarterback, you don't play any of your starters one down in the preseason. I get it if it's an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady and when they're already established with that organization. But again, circumstances will dictate your decisions. 
when you have a veteran quarterback coming in with the new cast, you don't play them one drive? Because, look, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Denver is a team that's going to have a chance at the playoff. Seattle looks like a team that they're already playing for C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. You know who the better team is, but Denver looked very, very disjointed for at least two and a half, three quarters. Yeah, and I blame that on Nathaniel Hackett. Disappointing debut for Russell Wilson. Uh, There was a momentary bit of controversy very early on. Uh, Russell Wilson booed by Seattle fans and people like, oh man, that's so disrespectful. Uh, When Tom Brady went back to New England, you know, New England fans treated him royally, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, Tom Brady was there 20 years, won six Super Bowls. They should kiss his rear end. Russell Wilson, nice career up in Seattle. Uh, The start of a Hall of Fame career up in Seattle, won a Super Bowl, appeared another. But I don't think those fans owed him some sort of standing ovation. The guy in the prime of his career, he has flipped teams, switched teams, and I don't think they owe him that. I wasn't offended at all by the fact that he was greeted with some booze. And this is where the mainstream media kills me. So they're upset at fans for a player not playing for their team. It's ridiculous. And again, let's go through circumstances again. Tom Brady, like you said, had much more longevity and many more Lombardi trophies in his mantle, right? The other thing is, we knew the last year or two that Bill Belichick was pushing him out. Okay, the difference here is, once Russell Wilson got with that pop singer, Ciara, it always seemed like, I'm too good for Seattle, I need a better place, I need a bigger media market, we're not really comfortable here as a couple. And it wasn't that long ago that they signed this mega deal And then two years later, he forced his way out. So if we're going to bring up that comparison, let's be honest. One guy was pushed out. The other guy kind of forced his way out. So it is not the same thing. And by the way, I love it. To me, look, again, this is a gang reference. Kids stay away from gangs. But it's that old line from that movie. I forgot which one. Blood in, blood out. Bottom line is all of this is very conditional. Once you leave my team, you're no longer my guy. I'll be honest with you. When Eric Dickerson, who was absolutely one of my boyhood idols, I considered him that big black brother with the jerry curl that I never had. I mean, I had posters of the guy. I would listen to Rams. Yes, I would actually listen to the Ram games on radio, all the home games, because they were always blacked out. Full force. (laughs) And Bob Starr would go, all right, Dickerson for eight yards. I would list how many yards he had, and I always felt my life was a little bit better if he had over 100 yards. That's just the way I was as a kid. Once he was traded, it was a betrayal. It was, and he's still one of my favorite athletes. I'd actually like to meet him one day, but once he left the Rams to Indianapolis on that Halloween night, 1987, it changed. And what did they say in The Godfather? It's never personal. It's always business. That's simple. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. I got no problem with them. I actually like it that they have the passion. Yeah. And that they're, you know, again, we want to remove all animus from 
professional sports or from sports in general. No. And everybody's doing a jersey exchange after the game, and no. everybody's got to throw rose petals. Russell Wilson's making $40 million a year. He wanted to go play someplace other than Seattle. He, there's no, I got no problem with Seattle fans being bitter about it. They owe him nothing. Uh, Seattle gave him a lot. It, it, it's, I got no problem with it. Uh, Steve, the other interesting thing last night, uh, the quarterback with a glass jaw, Geno Smith, said that uh, everybody wrote him off, but I ain't right back, I think is what he said. He didn't write back. Uh, do we think we saw something from Geno Smith that can last 17 games during an NFL season? Can Geno Smith be a legitimate NFL starter over the course of an entire season? Did you see, were you inspired last night, or do you think this is just a one-off? Look, I'm happy for Geno Smith. I remember about 10 years ago for about a month and a half, he was my Heisman Trophy winner at West Virginia, and then he basically tailed off, right? But remember this term, regression. So we've seen this before. Basically, you said we've seen this before. We saw him in his college career. He came out and threw for like 600 yards. Right. Right. I mean, but again, this term, regression to the meme, uh, to the meme. He is who we think he is. Don't crown him. Okay, look, we've seen this before. Is he good enough to be one of the 65 to 70 human beings on earth that could play quarterback or have a roster spot in the National Football League? Yeah, but this is what he is. He's a really good backup, kind of a journeyman, but there's nothing wrong with that. That is actually not a pejorative because you know what? It's kind of hard to make a roster, and there are very few quarterback spots And look at a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who every other third year was on a different team, but was a very likable guy. He could play a little bit, but he brought great intangibles. And he lasted almost, what, 16, 17 years, made tens of millions of dollars, and now is going to have a really good broadcasting career. I love the interview Gino did after the game. It was very self-reflective. It was self-deprecating. He seems like he's in a different place than he was getting into football. And I'm happy for him. But we have to be honest about this. He's a very limited quarterback. And right now, I get the sense that as things get back to reality and Seattle's not going to be able to play off this emotion every single week, they're basically, without telling you, in that sweepstakes for a Bryce Young or a guy like a Tyler Van Dyke or a C.J. Stroud. You know what? I didn't know. I read it this morning. Obviously, I knew about the glass jaw deal, getting in a fight with the teammates, knew about his scrap with uh, Rex Ryan and all that. Did you know he got a DUI in this year, in the past calendar year? Going, or, or maybe it was, really? maybe not a DUI, but driving 96 in a 60 or something. I think I read that. Maybe it wasn't a DUI, but it was, you know, going up damn near 100 miles an hour or whatever. And so everybody's acting like, uh, oh, we were wrong for writing Geno Smith off. Maybe we were, but but the real story to me is, particularly if he can pull this off for a season, it's the perseverance that Geno has shown. And, you know, again, if he's nothing more than the next Chase Daniel, a reliable backup quarterback that can put together a 15 16-year career, that's a lot of money, and that's a successful career. Not many people can do that. Uh, I'm happy 
uh, for Geno Smith today. I'm like you. I'm very suspicious whether it's sustainable. But he does have DK Metcalf. He does have uh, the Lockett kid. He's got some weapons in Seattle. Uh, you know, maybe he can do a little something this year. Yeah, and Rashard Penny, when healthy, is a quality running back. He can tote the leather. Uh, as for that whole thing with the car, look, call him Tracy Chapman. He's in a fast car. But to your point, I'll never forget, one of my good friends is Rudy Carpenter. And if you look at the Arizona State football record book, his name is dotted all over the place, right up there with Jake Plummer, Danny White. And I remember talking to him before his senior year at Arizona State. And we're talking about his future, what he's going to do. And he said, Steve, I'll be honest with you. If I'm a backup for like 10 years, that's the best job in football. He goes, think about it, Steve. I get to watch football. I get the best seats in the house. I make lots of money and I can walk when I'm 40. It's not a bad gig having a ball cap (laughs) and charting up plays. So Gino should take this opportunity not to just be the best player he can be, if he's a really, really good teammate, and we've seen this with guys like Charlie Batch, you can extend your career and you can really begin your life the next chapter after you play. I hope Gino takes this opportunity and runs with it. Uh, before I transition to a different topic, I do want to ask you about Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. I got it. It made Monday Night Football feel big time. It, mm. it made me not care about the Manning cast. I, I never gave the Manning cast a thought till this morning. Last night, I, I'm t- I enjoy Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. I, I actually think they're the best guys calling football at this point. And I do feel like it added an air of credibility and importance to last night's game, having those two guys call it. It's interesting. I had to do a few errands while watching the game. I had to conduct an interview with the fighter that I'm going to be watching this Saturday, Bam Rodriguez. So I kind of had the volume down. But it is interesting when I did hear Buck and Aikman. It's funny to see them on a broadcast without that big giant robot carrying the football like on Fox. Because you're so used to them. Like when I always thought of John Madden and Pat Summerall, no matter what network they were on, to me, it was always CBS. No matter where they were, I always just remembered as a kid growing up in the 80s that if the CBS had the big game on, you're going to have that to those two guys. But you're right. Buck and Aikman bring a word that is not really that um, evident nowadays. It's called gravitas. You're right. Troy is just like he was as a player. He wasn't flashy. He wasn't going to go off script, but he was sound and solid. And he was, And if he has enough help around him, He's going to be very good at what he does. And Joe Buck, for all the heat he takes, the guy can call a ball game. Let's just give him his credit. He absolutely is a consummate professional. Uh, I want to switch topics. Stephen A. Smith yesterday, <laughs> and and it feels like I'm picking on Stephen A. Smith, but he Go does ahead. and says stupid things all the time. And so Dak Prescott gets hurt on Sunday, and and – I'm starting to think Stephen A. Smith is a psyop. That part of his contract now <laughs> is he's an MK Ultra. Uh, he's an MK Ultra. He's an agent of chaos. That's part of his deal for getting that contract. And I say that in all seriousness because this dude started talking about the Dak Prescott injury and brought up Colin Kaepernick. Take a listen. You know what? This is a different subject for another day. Maybe it will never happen, in my opinion. 
Might want to make that call to Colin Kaepernick. Might want to take that change. Might want to find out. Now, now, he ain't been around, but he's a playmaker with his legs. Who's available? You got to take that into consideration. You got to take all. Now, I don't think it will ever happen because it's in Texas, in the state of Texas. You had I'm saying, you know, patriotic individuals that they pride themselves on being since, you know, the whole Kaepernick situation was hijacked. That narrative was hijacked to them. It's that. And Jerry Jones not going to let that get in the way of business. But I, I would think about it. I would say that. And getting back to reality, because I don't think that's reality, in fairness to everybody here. Agreeing with you. Before yeah. everybody grabs this and try to run with I'm saying you got to Let's stand. start with this Colin Kaepernick stuff. Okay. Let's just start. Okay. Colin Kaepernick's been out of football. Yeah. For what, five years now? Yeah. Something like I, I, that. Yeah. Come on, man. Let's stop. Let's all of a sudden thinking we can go resurrect Colin Kaepernick and he's going to come so and you prefer- resurrect a football team. I'll take my chances with Cooper Rush. I will take my chances with Cooper Rush. I saw Cooper Rush win well, a football game last year. That's all I'm saying. Let's just run down that It's rate. just that about five different people were in my ear this morning bringing up Colin Kaepernick. Right. So I thought I'd bring it up to right. football people and say, right. I've been saying for the longest. He's been gone for years now. Yeah, he's been gone for years. Years now, but right. people wanted me to bring that up, so I said fine. Let me give you some context, and, and it's hysterical what he's saying and what he's doing. And when Michael Irvin turns into the voice of reason, and I love Michael, but when he's the voice of reason, that's when you know you're really off on one. Michael Irvin's picking Kirk Cousins to win the MVP. If he's right, he's cashing a lottery ticket, more power to him. But anyway, I, I say this in all seriousness. The whole BYU, Rachel Richardson, Duke volleyball controversy. Stephen A. Smith has been very clear. Marcus Spears is the one that brought that story to me, and that's why we brought it up. He's, he's pinned that on Marcus Spears, and he did that from day one. From day one of that story, when they talked about it the first day, he pinned it on Marcus Spears, and he's done it. And, and when they finally had to acknowledge that they got hoaxed and hoodwinked, he, he, again, referenced Marcus Spears. Here he is saying something else equally stupid and saying, you know, I had people in my ear telling me I should do this, five, four or five people bringing this up. And, and what I'm, this is how a MK Ultra, whoever is his handler or whoever's putting things in his ear, is it Molly Quarum? I know she's broke up with Jalen Rose. Is that who's uh, putting <laughs> thoughts in his ears about bringing this or that up? What is going on here with Stephen A. Smith? This is stupid. It's, it's being a distraction. It's like he's leaning into all these stupid, silly racial things. Is he trying? Does someone finally got some dirt on him? And, and so they, they've told him they're now in control of what comes out of his mouth completely. Uh, I found this commentary embarrassing. Colin Kaepernick hadn't played in the NFL since 2016. That's, he's got six years worth of dust on him. Well, Psyop A. Smith said one thing that was very, very accurate. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick is available. I'll give him that. Nailed that one. <laughs> but here's the thing, and I'm going to roll out here. I'm going to go 50 different directions. What I do. Michael Irvin loves I the know. Cowboys way too much that he's, oh, no, 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 we're not. I, here's what I think. If that was any other team they were talking about, the playmaker may have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But since it's his beloved Cowboys, he's like, no. Kind of reminds me of those videos that I see in Europe. I've seen a couple where they'll ask random people, do you believe we should allow migrants in? And these people, yes, they should all come in. And then you ask them, well, do you think they should come to your house? We have one right here. Do you want to take? No, 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 no. 
DK Metcalf earlier this summer was asked about Colin Kaepernick and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what about with the Seahawks? Well, I, I don't know about that. See, it's, it's the same thing. The, the concept of Kaepernick in the league is a talking point that people jump on. But when it comes to having him on your team, it's like, no, it's that immigrant you're not going to house. Kind of way it is. I believe that Psyop A. Smith, from the time Terrell Owens said, hey, Max Kellerman's got more street cred than you, I think that actually upset him and that there's pressure on him. And so comments like this, it's about the woke quotient. So then he has to do this performative wokeness that he understands that once that there is any quarterback job available on that bingo card, you always have to, Colin Kaepernick should be on this team, B12, right? So it's almost like this, it's almost like this opposite reaction to anything that happens. Think about Kaepernick. Warren Sapp must have had great sources, Jason, because that workout, he said, was such a disaster that it was one of the worst he's ever had. So, okay, you could say Warren's full of it. You might be right. But, Jason, have you heard of any more workouts for Mr. Kaepernick moving forward? No, no. No. And it's funny you bring up Terrell Owens because when I heard this yesterday, I actually thought of Terrell Owens. And and because I'm like, why are we still talking about Kaepernick? He's been out of the league for six years. And and I was like, is there any player that's been out of the league five or six years who's worthy of an NFL tryout? Have we ever seen? And, and the only one I can come up with, I was like, if you're going to make this argument, argue for Terrell Owens. He still wants to play. Yes. There's video of him running a 4-4-40 or 4-5-40 somewhere in the past couple weeks. The guy's still in incredible shape. He actually wants to play in the NFL, unlike Kaepernick, who just wants to be talked about. And, and yes, I believe that you're a thousand percent right. Stephen A. Smith trying to get uh, his, his black ratings up is throwing out the Colin Kaepernick card. Uh, so everybody will love Stephen A. Smith and black Twitter will leave him alone. He threw out the Colin Kaepernick card. It, it's a joke. And, and it's, my whole, it's my whole problem with all the corporate media. And it's why I'm so glad we have this show. And it's, you know, I'm just going to be self-serving Jason. and the narcissist here. People need to watch this stuff because at least I'm telling we're going to tell you what we really think. You're not going to have to sit around and go, I wonder if someone's putting Whitlock or Steve Kim or Delano or Royce White or any Shamika. Is anybody putting them up to saying this or is this what they really believe? Because when people start saying stuff that they really don't, trust me, I'm going to run them up off this show uh, because we're trying to be authentic here. And that that's what Stephen A. Smith did is, is what makes it's why I don't watch or care for any of these people they're all disingenuous liars yeah and jason if you actually well by the way i think that was a, a warning to me about my future approval ratings duly noted but anyway um <laughs> if, if you actually monitor some of the nfl players current or former the summer some of them are actually now speaking out that colin kaepernick what did he really do all this for so I think it was Antonio Brown, of all people, I, I know, consider the source. They actually said, hey, he didn't do much. So what? Who cares? Other guys made sacrifices. He didn't. There are more and more players, not media members, but players who I believe have a certain opinion we should respect. They're actually kind of looking at him with the side eye. 
I think that's telling. And what's funny, as soon as they say it, it never gets amplified, which kind of you could read between the lines there. Steve, I got some bad news to break to myself, and I shouldn't mm. say this out loud, but and I, I mentioned it even yesterday. I'll just say it again. You're basically untouchable. You, you can't be replaced. The people love you. Uh, that's why you're such a diva. That's why you throw out so many distracting topics, because I can't control you. Uh, you finally found something that you're so good at that you're unreplaceable. This isn't ESPN. I, I don't have, you're a terrible writer, by the way. No wonder ESPN got rid of you, but you're a I hell of a broadcaster. <laughs> don't disagree. I'm the Asian Elliot Ness. But the other thing is I do wear the fearless swag. Give me a, give me a little credit for that. I know, you do. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, I got to let you go. Uh, I want to do something here personal here. Uh, this is not a commercial. This is not another endorsement. This is life or death here at the Blaze. Uh, we're, we're building a village of Blaze babies with the goal of rescuing 50,000 babies from abortion. Let me tell you a little bit about Preborn and how they have rescued over 188,000 babies' lives when a woman under pressure to abort her baby meets that baby and hears the precious heartbeat. It's a game changer. 80% of the time, she will choose life. Preborn clinics are located in the highest abortion areas in the country, standing strong for mothers in crisis and introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside of them. Would you join us, join me in rescuing preborn babies? It's one of the most important things you can do, helping to preserve these precious lives. Listen, I don't want to do what the mainstream media does all the time. They racialize everything. But again, I want to talk about why this is so important to me, and it's because so many times people on the conservative side of the aisle, they get accused, uh, we're either, they're either racist or they're sellouts. And the thing I love about preborn is they just care about babies, and they know this whole movement of preborn and the people that are all pro-life, they know exactly the babies they're talking about saving, and many of them are black. While the left tries to kill black babies, while the left tries to convince black people that killing their seed is the most liberating and sign of freedom you can have in America. People like preborn, people with a faith in God, people who are conservative, want to save all babies' lives, and they know the statistics. They know that 40%, 45% of abortions are with black women and black babies. This is personal to me. One ultrasound is just $28, or you can sponsor five ultrasounds for $140 and save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate securely, call pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or go to preborn.com fearless. I need you all to do this. Again, I'll, it's the little things that are going to help us win this culture war, and we are in one. We're in a fight for this nation. And the best way, if you are looking for a way to say, you know what, I'm a good person, I want to do the right things, I believe in God, I'm not a racist, go to preborn.com. And, and I know that, that that's an awkward selling point, but the left so hammers conservative people, whether they're black or white. Oh, you don't like black people? Oh, yes, we do. 
That's why we support preborn.com slash fearless. We're talking about $28 or $140 to save five babies. These are small little things you can do to fight back against a culture that's trying to destroy America and the foundational beliefs that have made America great. They're trying to destroy people that look like me. They're trying to destroy babies in the womb. Fight back, it's just $28. Fight back, it's just $140 for five babies. Preborn.com slash fearless. I need you to do this. Be a good soul. I'm go don't, don't take the camera off of me. I'm gonna do it right now while we all do this together. Uh, this is important to me. And again, we have a lot of uh, sponsors that I absolutely love. Uh, Preborn is my favorite. And I don't, I'm gonna, not gonna apologize for that. Love Good Rancher, love them all. Patriot Mobile, I love them all. But this Preborn thing is personal and is special and it's something we all need to be doing. It's just a small thing. 28 bucks, I just paid 34 bucks for two tickets to that stupid movie I'm gonna go watch on Thursday, uh, Woman King. And I don't have 28 bucks to give to save babies' lives? Yes, we do. Be a good, fearless soldier. Uh, hop on preborn.com slash fearless. Make this donation. All right, we'll come back uh, with Shamika Michelle. Next. All right, welcome back. Time for some Shamoke, Shamoke show. Uh, Shamika Michelle uh, about to join us. We're going to talk rap music in this segment. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I tried, I wanted to bring it all together in one little talking point. I couldn't do it, I tried very hard. So there's three different things going on in rap that, that I wanna talk about. And we're gonna start with Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton, her daughter. Uh, they sat down with Megan the Stallion uh, for some, I think it's Hillary's podcast. I don't know what it is, but this is craziness. This is lunacy. Uh, let's watch this clip of Hillary Clinton engaging with Megan The Stallion. Chelsea follows rap music. She has ever since she was a little girl. But I kind of came to awareness of you with the Cardi B WAP. I've always wanted to do a song with Cardi. As soon as she sent me the song, I think I sent it back to her like the next day. And it was just so exciting. The men, they seem so confident in what they're saying and they don't have no problem with talking about their sexuality and how they gonna have sex with you. So I was like, well, <laughs> I could do that and it's gonna sound fire coming from a woman. It's great to see women be so kind of fierce. That is my life's mission, <laughs> to make sure that I'm always unapologetically me. So Hillary Clinton, who ran for president, who considers herself a serious person and a serious politician. Uh, well, I came to learn about you through the song WAP. Isn't it WAP? Uh, yes, uh, wet ass, uh, that's how I heard it. She didn't say that, but again, that's basically what a presidential candidate 
is on film talking about. A pornographic rap song. And I can be mad at Hillary Clinton, all that I want to do, all that I want to be. But this all started, Barack Obama is the first one that started bringing the rappers front and center into the political stage. Barack Obama paved the road for this. And so I can't just sit here and be mad at Hillary Clinton. The song is called WAP, not WAP. She's, you know, Hillary loves to pretend like, you know, she's part of the culture and she's really hip and down. She carries hot sauce in her purse for her fried chicken. Uh, she like, she's danced with Roley Martin and all that. This is the game that they love to play is that we, we really down. We, we like black people. We listen to that WAP and we, we put hot sauce on our fried chicken and uh, we can do the wobble just like everybody else. It's, it's, it's racist. It's, it's, it's racist what Hillary Clinton is doing here in this video. And, but, but again, I can't sit here and blame Hillary Clinton. I can't be mad at her without blaming the father of Barack Obama started us down this path of, hey, rappers are the important spokesman for the black community. Let's invite Jay-Z to the White House and every other rapper and uh, Brock's dusting his shoulder off, shouting out to Jay-Z and all of that. And so the whole thing's infuriating. I'll just, that's just one aspect of it. I just wanna evaluate the Hillary Clinton aspect of it first, and then I'm gonna segue into Megan Thee Stallion and what bothered me about what she said. Uh, Shamika, I, I want your thoughts here on Hillary Clinton sitting down and talking WAP, <laughs> WAP with uh, Megan Thee Stallion. Jason, there is so much that I hate about this. I feel like men on film hated it. I hate this entire <laughs> idea of Hillary and Chelsea sitting down with Megan Thee Stallion. First of all, we know, like you said, Hillary is known for pandering to the black community. From the time she said, I have hot sauce in my bag, and then Charlemagne asked her, are you saying this to win like brownie points from the black community? She actually had the nerve to say, is it working? Because she knew that that's all she was doing was pandering. And it bothers me that Chelsea here as her, as her daughter has just grabbed the baton and is running with that. First of all, Chelsea is 42 years old. There is no reason a 40-year-old woman is listening to young girls. By the time you're 40, you should already know what you have, how wet it gets, and what it's capable of doing. So to sit here and lie and say, oh, you, you know, I listen to this music, you're a liar, and if you do, you're trying to not meet the same demise your mother met when she had to deal with her husband having, you know, play in the Oval Office. You are 40 years old. The only reason I even know of this song is because I have young girls, and it was on the radio and over all television for so long. This is nothing I can sing along to. This is nothing I want to listen to, and it's nothing that I had to hear to make me feel empowered like oh my god i have a vagina and it actually gets wet and men like it this 
I didn't need these young girls to tell me that. I have three children just like Chelsea does, and it's ridiculous that she even pandered and played into this foolishness. What do you think of my take that Barack Obama is ultimately responsible? He platformed all the rappers and legitimized them as political, uh, for political importance. He, Jay-Z and every other rapper coming in and out of the White House. And so now rappers are seen as the, Cardi B interviewed Joe Biden before, before he was president. It, 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 it's, that, that's what so infuriates me is that there's these uh, leftists who uh, think they're the best friends of black people, but, but they hate Ben Carson, they hate Clarence Thomas, uh, they, hate any, they hate any black man of significant intellect and love every black person who spews ignorance in rap music or any kind of immorality. This, I just, these people are racist. I definitely agree with you. And I think it goes back to what when Malcolm X was saying, only in the black community do we take like singers and entertainers and prop them up as leaders of the black community. They don't do this in any other other area of life. It's just with us. And you're right. When Cardi B sat down with Joe Biden, I was thinking, is that was there not any other black person or woman? because, you know, she's not technically black, but there's no other woman that could represent the black community that can actually get a point across, that can string her words together and create a sentence that actually makes sense. Why are they constantly propped up as the people that need to, to speak for us? And I don't know if that's just an issue with white liberals or if that's also we have to look at ourselves and say that we allow these people to be propped up and we look at them as role models and we push them forward and never, as we were talking about last week, we never shame them for their behavior. So then, of course, White liberals are saying, well, if these are the people that black people prop up for for their role models, let's make sure we talk to them because they have such a big influence on the community. And it I I can't stand it. I do not like it at all. I want to move to the Megan Thee Stallion aspect of this, and I'm going to I regret having to do this. I'm going to defend her. Her argument unintentionally that she made was, look, male rappers have been making music just like this forever, and they're making money and, get, and getting celebrated for making music like this forever. Uh, again, Jay-Z's got songs just like WAP or <laughs> WAP, uh, uh, that, and, and he's seen as the godfather of the black community and all everybody. And so I heard that, and, and again, as offended as I am by the song and can't stand Megan Thee Stallion, she reminded me that it's the failure of men, black men in particular, that have created this opportunity for her and Cardi B basically to be uh, the, the Jenna Jameson or the, the porn stars of rap music, and it, it would have never happened if, if black men didn't do it first. 
I don't know if I buy into that, Jason. I think it's an excuse for black women to be raunchy and just have and do whatever they want to. First of all, it bothers me that black women have even begun to act as if they have the same experience as white women. We're starting to hear them regurgitate and say the same things like they've been oppressed or, you know, people have looked down on them or they haven't been able to do what they want to do. They need all of this freedom all of a sudden. First of all, you don't have the same experience as, as white women. When they talk about their men holding them under their thumb and being oppressed, these are men that have always traditionally had power and authority. You haven't had that same thing when it comes to black men because black men have never held the power and authority that white men have have in in the United States. So I'm tired of black women tag teaming with white liberal women as if, yeah, girl, I understand we need to be free. We need to be able to express ourselves the way we want to. No, it's just your excuse to be debaucherous and to be nasty because you haven't had this same experience. And we have to stop putting the blame on everybody else and take some responsibility. You don't have to do something just because somebody else is doing it. Men climb down in the sewer every day and clean shit and rat poop, but we don't have women running to do that. So just because men have been saying all types of manner of evil over records and movies and whatever, don't mean that we have to follow along with them. And so it bothers me that black women are now tag teaming this whole oppression narrative as if we have to find some type of freedom that has not been given to us. I just think that's error and it's wrong. I think it's a coalition of lesbians, whether closeted, uncloseted, bisexual, whatever. But what, what I looked at when I saw those three, I, there's three lesbians and I know Chelsea's married and Hillary's married and, you know, Megan Thee Stallion will get down with anybody, man or woman. She calls herself a horse. Uh, and so I, I just, I just, I see lesbian energy, lesbian powers activate, you know, and, and that's what that looked like to me. It looked like a slumber party and they just put some clothes on and, and taped a podcast. And then as soon as the cameras were off, they took their clothes back off and probably called Monica Lewinsky and asked her to come over. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think feminism started with a bunch of lesbians, whether they were in or out of the closet. They have this hate, this deep-seated hate for men. And when it comes to black women now buying into it, in my opinion, liberal white women have been more oppressive to black women than black men ever have. So when they sit and, and, and high-five them, I just wonder, do you even look back in history, when white women would turn a blind eye when their husband snuck out the big house and came to the slave quarters and raped black slaves, or when you then said, oh, well, since now you didn't have a baby and your breasts are producing milk, feed my children so that I can do something else. Or fast forward to when black women's primary job, a lot of times were going to clean white women houses and being their maids. Remind me of when uh, Miss Millie, 
approached Sophia and said, you want to be my maid? I'm one of these women that will say, hell no. I'm not getting with your whole talk about this because y'all have been oppressive for a very long time. And so when I see black women sit down with, with white liberal women and act as if they're our friends when they have been nothing but oppressive enemies and then you want to turn that hate onto black men, Oh my God, Jason, it bothers me so much. I try to make sure I think about the words that I'm saying so that I won't be too harsh, but I just don't like that. And so, yes, I think it's a lot of lesbian energy that we don't even realize as a group of black women that we have. Why do you hate black men so much? And how do you even feel like they've oppressed you and that now you have to act the way that you do in the streets with everyone to see such terrible behavior because of it? It's definitely lesbian energy. I want to move on to another rap topic. Some rapper, P&B Rock. Does that P&B stand for peanut butter and jelly? I, I don't know. Uh, PNB Rock, I think he's from Philadelphia originally. Uh, he got gunned down and murdered uh, in Los Angeles at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffle. Uh, I've actually been there uh, in, in LA. He gets gunned down, I think, with his girlfriend. Uh, he, he actually somewhat foreshadowed this in an interview. I, I, I think he did earlier, just for, for people that aren't, because again, these rappers, they die so quick and die before they ever put out a record that anybody's heard of. Let's play a little of this interview so you'll know who Peanut Butter and Jelly Rock is. A mix of me, like telling her like where to park at, it's like somebody just came fast as shit and took the parking spot, like the same spot that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, they must've been following me or something, bro. How the fuck this car get behind me this <laughs> yeah. fast? Like I ain't even look, I look back and that shit was there quick as shit. And then when I walked past, like the car bombed out, like this shit tended to the max. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm getting all this heat coming from the car though. Like, I'm feeling the energy coming from the car. I'm like, damn, what the f who that car? Like, you know, some other shit. I ain't going to the store for two seconds. The same people coming from out the car, hopping the store, hyping shit. See some gang banging shit, like some set of my, I don't know what they say. This is some shit out loud. Set tripping But it was like, son, that I'm not that I recognize the energy. You feel me? I'm like, what? You feel me? Like, he like started talking to me with some gays and shit. Like, I'm like, bro, do you know me? Like, you know me from somewhere? He like, yeah, I know you is, trying to get me to like get into some shit. So I'm like, man, I flagged him off and I just walked out the store because I already know like where this shit about to go. You feel me? You don't that make you nervous? It's like you with like your, your girl. Your no, that's daughter. why I be trying to be cool because you don't want to be nervous and make it seem like something about that. You want to you, well, you want, want them to be as calm too, as possible. You feel me? You want your girl and your kids to be like making it seem like everything is cool. Ain't nothing about to happen to us. You feel me? Like we super good. So I just be cool. I just kept it cordial. I'm like, come on, maybe out. I'm trying to think of, uh, other than maybe being a soldier, what's a more dangerous profession than rap? Uh, these rappers get murdered consistently. We're not, no one bats an eye. Uh, they're made famous uh, by their murders. And it, 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 to me, it's so clear. And again, I used to be a huge rap music fan. I still, I'm friends with some rappers. Don't want to denigrate them all. But this is a culture of death. And that, to me, is, is why people like Hillary Clinton, Chelsea Clinton, are so supportive. Because anything that supports the death of black men, in particular, 
uh, and leads to negative outcomes for black men, they're going to be uh, celebratory of it and embrace it. And this whole hip hop thing, it's a celebration of, of anti-family values and the death of black men. And, and here's another dead black rapper that will be celebrated. People act like, oh my God, I, I can remember when PNB went on tour with Michael Jackson and Prince. Ain't nobody heard of this dude. Uh, and he's been made famous by being a rapper, but I, it's just a, it's a death culture. No one's surprised by it. I, I don't understand why we don't speak out against it. Uh, no, nobody else has a profession like this where their young people are constantly killed. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to blame this guy for his own murder, but he, he walks around with all this jewelry and stuff on and flashing in everybody's face. And, and you just, it's stupid. And again, I used to wear a lot of jewelry or whatever, but I figured out it's just stupid. Why, be, why flash your wealth in front of others? I'm not blaming this dude for his murder, but, but th this is what happens in rap. Uh, your thoughts on peanut butter and jelly rock or whatever. P what is the P? It's some street. It's two streets. The P and B yeah, stand two for streets, two streets in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I definitely understand why you're saying that because when my daughter came in the house and was like, Mom, P and B was uh, murdered. And I was looking at her like, who? I was thinking, is this like a joke? Because peanut butter and jelly, jelly was what came to mind for me first as well. But then she sung his song, and I was familiar with at least two of them. So then I started to look into the story because I'm familiar with his music. I just never knew his name. Um, and I do think us being so flashy and having all of this jewelry, I heard somebody say that, like, rich people that don't really have it are the ones that's loud and screaming real wealth is silent and we can see this so many times when you won't even know that somebody like maybe white or of another race or nationality or ethnicity they don't flash their money the way that we do you don't see them taking pictures holding stacks of money holding guns hope you know this is a culture that we have promoted and it it bothers me because so many times we talk on this show and we catch heat. We're called coons or Uncle Toms because we point out the way the culture has declined. Yet we are seeing so many rappers, as you said, it's such a dangerous, dangerous profession, be murdered every year. So many. We don't see this in pop music. I don't see country music artists being slain simply, you know, oh, he was flashing his guitar and those cowboy boots he had on. Oh, my God. We don't see that in any other genre of music except for when it comes to hip hop. And we promote it. It's a, it's a culture of death. Not only do we promote it, we uphold it. It doesn't seem like anybody was really willing to come forth and to say who did it. And another thing that bothers me with us, Jason, is we act like we have to post our every move. This was Roscoe's chicken and waffles. You never ate a piece of chicken or a waffle that you had to put this up and post your location. Like, why do we do this as people? I was uh, talking to Hadley and I was telling him that I went live a couple years ago 
and a man came because of my life. Now, thankfully for my sake, he was nice and he was friendly and he was just like, hey, you know, let me buy you and your friend a drink. But what if he wasn't that I never went live again because of that? And I don't even consider myself a celebrity, but I realize that there are people out there that do. And the truth is, when you begin to live a certain way, you got to stop trying to be down with the hood. You got to stop trying to act like, oh, the hood is my friend. I can't walk away. I can't grow up. I can't do something different because the hood, as we see, will turn their back. You will be killed. It's time out. I, it's, Kanye said something about like, Forget the culture because the culture is killing people and we're willing to die for what? What are we dying for? Because we want to stay down, because we want to stay cool, because we want to keep getting invited to the cookout. You are living a different way and it should be apparent to not just yourself, but those that you even keep company with. I don't like being around people that are constantly feeling like they have to post things or take pictures of things or act a certain way. They say you can't take the uh, ghetto out of the person, even though you take the person out of the ghetto. It's time for us to let the ghetto go and this hood mentality and behavior because we're dying behind it for no reason. You perfect segue. Uh, Kanye West is on a song with DJ Khaled and so is Eminem, a gospel song. I think it's called Use This Gospel. It's number one on the Billboard Hot Christian Charts. Uh, I don't, Kanye has always dabbled in gospel music. Now Eminem is, is dabbling and DJ Khaled dabbling. Just want to talk specifically about Eminem. You buy this, is there any legitimacy to it? Or, or, is, or is this just, you know, all these rappers have remorse, they know they're promoting a culture of death, a satanic culture, and so maybe they think they can get some extra credit points by staying after school. Oh, let me put this gospel song down and, and people can't call me wicked and evil. I, I think they use it as a disguise uh, to, to beard and cover their true evil intent. I'm not buying Eminem as a gospel rapper. Uh, you know, I know in the song or the lyrics, Eminem says something about thank you for waiting for me. It might have taken me a long time to get here, but I'm here now or whatever. I think what this shows, though, is the lukewarmness if that's the word, that we've had when it comes to the gospel and the things of Christ for a very long time. We've always had R&B artists that would bounce in and out of singing secular music and then singing gospel music. I'm not surprised that you have so many rappers now taking it as a joke you know, in a sense that not really seeing the seriousness of it or feeling like they can live any kind of way as long as they say, a, you know, thank you, God, or praise Jesus here and here and there, because it's not really been taken seriously. We haven't had a standard for a very long time. There's been no divide between holiness and righteousness and sin. 
we haven't said you have to be in or out, cold or hot. We've never had that requirement. And so I think it's it's we've made it easy for rappers to, to do this and for people in general. We had Snoop Dogg who did a song with, with Rance Allen. I love Rance Allen. Something about the name of Jesus is one of my favorite songs. He should have been ridiculed for that though. At you know, to me. This is Snoop Dogg. Tasha Cobb, who sings Break Every Chain, did a song with Nicki Minaj. So we have kind of just let the lines be blurred and not had any type of standard that they feel like they can do this. They can bounce in and out because why not? And if that's where the money is, if they're going to get an extra dollar for it, of course they're going to do it. I had no idea that Snoop had done a song with Rance Allen. Rance Allen, something about the name of Jesus, and Break Every Chain. I listen to those songs virtually every day. Tasha Cobbs is, you know, in my background. I had no idea she had done a song with Nicki Minaj. And that's where I get a little bit confused, and I don't know if you saw it this weekend. I was at church in Dallas and sat next to Kirk Franklin, and, and literally, I didn't know Kirk Franklin belonged to Tony Evans's church, but that morning I was like, man, I hope they, for some reason they play something about the name of Jesus. Next thing I know, Kirk Franklin walks in and sits down right in front of me. Uh, and so it kind of blew my, but, but I've had mixed feelings about, cause you know, I listened to Stomp and uh, I, one of the, somebody from TLC, Left Eye, or somebody's on Stomp, uh, I think salt that, from uh, salt and pepper. Yeah, salt, salt from salt and pepper. My bad. Yeah, uh, and so I have mixed feelings about like that whole mixing of the two genres, and and to some degree, I, I guess I'm into anything that. Eminem rapping anything that isn't evil and talking about rape and talking about killing his mama is better than the stuff he normally raps about. And so some degree I, I, I like it, but some degree. And then I say to myself, I'm like, if God can use me as sinful as I've been, who says he couldn't use Eminem? Who says he couldn't use Snoop and, and these guys? Uh, but I wish they would choose a side and stay with it. Same thing I'd say to Kanye, choose a, pick a team and stick with it. Uh, don't be half-stepping, don't, don't dibble and dabble in it. I've always been a Christian. I just, when I was living foul, I wasn't trying to clean it up. I wasn't trying to pretend like I was uh, trying to represent uh, the Christian lifestyle. I didn't want to embarrass other Christians with my behavior. Can't be, you know, Whitlock's claiming he's a Christian. But he didn't I just see him leave, leaving the Spearmint Rhino at 5 a.m. in Vegas. I didn't want to do that. And that's right. what I see these guys doing is they. Oh, I'm a Christian, but here I am smoking this weed and I got women on the chain and I'm rapping all this crazy stuff. It just gives Christianity a bad name. Yes. And not only that, Jason, it's we we're so unserious about it. They play uh, Marvin Sapp's Never Would Have Made It in the club. They've put it to a hip hop beat. And I was I was out uh, with my classmates a few months ago and they actually- They're playing Marvin Sapp in nightclubs. 
Yes, sir. This they is why do. I don't go to nightclubs. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, they do. I'll send you a video just for your enjoyment so that you can hear it. But yes, I was so surprised, but I'm hanging out with friends. This is our 30 year reunion year. So we've been trying to do 30 for 30, 30 activities in one year. And I, I was surprised, but yes, they play it in the club and people are sitting around dancing and drinking. And it's like, it's not even a gospel song. It doesn't, it appeases the flesh. It does not take your spirit to, to a different place at all. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right, you've given me something else to think about. I, they're playing Marvin Sapp at nightclubs. Never would have made it. You know, I listen to my testimonies and I'll listen to my testimony on the way home tonight. <sighs> Give me a lot. Thank you, Shamika. You're welcome. I might have to bring this up uh, tomorrow with Anthony on Tennessee Harmony. We may continue our musical discussion. You know, Anthony can sing. Maybe we'll get Anthony to sing tomorrow. Uh, Anthony's quite the singer. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the notifications. Hit subscribe. Delano Squires. I'm going to get back on this pre-born. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back. Uh, I want to tell you guys, sometimes you're dealing with spiritual warfare. I told you guys at the end of that last segment that I was hopping on preborn uh, to give this money up to save some babies. Next thing you know, my computer wouldn't load preborn uh, spiritual warfare, but I sat here and uh, kept waiting and kept screwing with my computer, and now it works. And uh, I'm about to drop preborn some more money here because I want all of you guys to do that as well uh, and so I got to be the change I want to see so uh, let's hop online preborn.com slash fearless drop some money off and save some babies uh, and we'll bring in uh, Delano Squires as I do this because Delano has written a column that goes along with this uh, preborn donation about prodigal fathers. We hear a lot about prodigal sons, uh, and Delano wants to have a conversation about prodigal fathers and how we inspire them and what impact uh, they would have on our society and culture if we welcome fathers back into the homes, back as leaders, empowered them. Uh, but Delano. I want you to tell us about your column as I uh, finish donating this money to Preborn. I'll be listening, but I'm just taking care of this business I want people to see. I'm not just talking about it, we gotta be about it. Right, right, Anyway, right. Uh, explain your column, please. Sure. So um, I, I wrote this column, and actually, Jason, this column is a speech. Um, so as people can tell, I'm not my regular 
you know, surroundings. Uh, I'm at the National Conservatism Conference in Miami for a couple of days, uh, and I gave a speech about America's prodigal fathers. So um, the, the speech and the column really focus on one thing, is, and it's the fact that uh, many American men have squandered the gift of masculinity that God gave them um, by retreating from marriage and family, by addictions to pornography and drugs, um, by um, stepping back from the workforce and basically from fulfilling the responsibilities that God has given men to fulfill. Um, so I, I talk about the prodigal son and how everybody loves, you know, the way that that story ended because the son came back to his father. The father welcomed him back to his home. He threw a celebration because when kids stray and eventually come back to their parents, again, that's something to, to celebrate. But it's a lot different when, when fathers stray because when fathers leave their appointed place, they leave women and children vulnerable, vulnerable to pro- poverty, um, vulnerable to the predations and, and attacks of other stronger men. And my whole point is that, you know, over the course of decades, uh, men have been demoralized and emasculated, and many of them have just exited. They've just, they, they, they're no longer where they need to be in their families. Um, part of that is evidenced by the fact that so many of the people leading the culture wars are women, right? Women are on the front lines. Uh, I reference, you know, Leah Thomas, aka I think Will Thomas, the, the UPenn swimmer, the, the male UPenn swimmer who won the women's championship, and the fact that all of his female teammates have to speak anonymously. They have to get their faces blacked out and their voices distorted. And I can't think of of very few men who are up on the front lines, shoulder to shoulder, or leading their daughters and or wives um, in these battles. So my my whole point of the column is to say, we we have a problem with our men. Many of them, again, have abandoned their posts and it's time for for them to come back home. Delano, I I read your column this morning and it it hit home for me, not because I'm not a father, Mm. uh, but it hit home for me in terms of just abandoning my post. And it's like the conversation I was just having with Shamika about uh, Hillary Clinton and sitting down with Megan Thee Stallion and Megan Thee Stallion basically saying, you know, men do all these songs about sex and what they're going to do to us and and it makes me think you know why can't we make a song about what we're going to do sexually and and it as repulsed as i am by megan the stallion and hillary clinton pandering and mm-hmm. the whole wop song megan the stallion i got to give her credit she said y'all did this y'all mm-hmm. made this depraved music and 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 convinced us that it's the proper thing to do and 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 so it convicted me mm. and when i'm reading your uh, piece it convicted me in terms of we can all be prodigal fathers prodigal sons in some way some regard and and i just think about uh, my own immorality and how mm. i thought it was the greatest thing in the world and how I actually contributed to setting the stage for mm. women to think, oh, I gotta be just as immoral as men. Mm. And, and that's where happiness is, and being immoral just like men. And, and I so regret that, and, and, I, I, and I don't hear you 
arguing any excuses for men and certainly the government and there have been forces emasculating us. But uh, when I look at my own previous behavior, mm. I, I go, we emasculated ourselves. You know, I, I, I mean, we're cutting our own balls off uh, with our behavior and the, 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 the tone and the image we're presenting to women. Or Why should they respect us if we mm. don't respect ourselves? I mean, you make a great point, Jason. And uh, one of the, the crazy criticisms that a lot of, you know, particularly, you know, Christian evangelical men get when they talk about you know, masculinity or when they talk about, um, you know, men being the, the heads of their home is this notion that they hate women. And, and it's, it's strange because what, what those guys are arguing, and I would count myself in, in, in that class, is that there, there's a rightful ordering of things and that men who, you know, want to sleep with every woman who are promiscuous and, and or men who you know, or, or patrons of the strip club or, or, or porn hub or whatever, those things are not an expression of love to women, right? It, those things degrade the, the image of God that's in, that's in um, every woman as, as it is in every man. And the men who say, no, like we, we have to get off of this stuff, even if I've consumed it in the past, right? We need to repent. We need to turn from our ways and to no longer engage in this type of behavior because ultimately it is degrading to women and it's degrading to ourselves, right? We're, we're degrading ourselves by engaging in that type of behavior. So, so yes, I, I agree. Like in, in some small respect in terms of what Megan Thee Stallion is saying, if, if her critique is that, look, the guys did it first, I agree with that. But as we've all heard, two wrongs don't make a right. And it's, it doesn't suddenly become empowering because women are now doing it. Um, and that's one of the things that all of these ideologies that are based on power dynamics say that if somebody is imposing something on me, then that's bad. But if I'm doing something to myself, then that's good. Same that, you know, we've talked about this, you know, as it relates to, to black folk and the type of language that we use to talk to one another, the, the ways in which we uh, treat one another. We see, OK, well, if, uh, for instance, some uh, a white rap fan says the lyrics to a, a particular rap song, then, then that's racist, right? That's, that's white supremacy. How can he do that? But when the rappers themselves say those lyrics, then that's empowering because he's making money from it. And, and it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in, that, in the race case. It doesn't make sense in, in the gender case. So, so yeah, I, I'm not surprised by this. And, and this is why you know, men are needed in their homes um, to, to love and worship God, to lead their wives, and to disciple their children. And, and when men do those things, um, the people who uh, rely on them, right, are in better positions to deal with the world as it is. But because so many of us have been absent, physically absent, or sometimes even present, but but not there, not willing to speak up. As I, uh, one of the part, parts that I said in the piece is that, much like in the in the creation story, too many men have allowed serpents to engage in dialogue with their wives without stepping up. And saying something, so we just we just we just sit there, right? And 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 we let people say and do all types of things, um, and without without speaking up. And I think that's the type of thing that needs to end. You know, this prodigal father's deal. And again, there may be some listeners out there 
that aren't fathers and think mm -hmm. this conversation has nothing to do with them and they're wrong. Because bottom line, your, your column really is just about men stepping up and being men. Correct. And, and there's, a, there's all different kinds of ways to be a father. I'm going to try to unpack this story without embarrassing anybody. But I, you know, just because I'm transparent doesn't mean I have to drag everybody else into my transparency. So I'm going to speak more hypothetically. But, but in terms of, because we also with Shamika, again, as we talked about rap, we were talking about the P&B rock, the latest rapper to get killed. And yeah. I saw pictures of him with all the gold chains on. Ooh. And, you know, everybody loved all, I see athletes, everybody. And I, I used to be one of these guys. When, first, when I, years ago, when I first started making $150,000, first thing I did was when I bought me a big gold chain. <laughs> I said the league and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Wore the thing probably twice. Mm. And, and then just put it away. And, and when I, I think now in terms of just the stupidity of that and mm. how uh, uh, I knew someone who, whose mother, I, I can't unpack the story properly, but what I'll say is men can take their money and be providers for these women, if women knew that they had providers out there and people that had their best interests and were going to take care of them, mm. they then make better decisions. Mm. They, then, they, they then can move comfortably into what I believe is their proper role and function. But when they don't feel like they have a man they can count on and a man that will play their proper role, then they get out of order. And so right. as upset as I am at Megan the Stallion and Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton and, and just, I know that it starts with us. I've seen it in my own life as, as I started correcting my behavior and started making demands on women in my life and started making sure that I'm providing for all of their needs. I've seen their behavior improve. Mm. And so just, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time on this show, but it all starts, ends with us. If we do right, the world would be right, or it certainly would be more right. right. Uh, and so that, that's what, what I, I just, I just think your column today spoke to me on just so many different levels, and mm. I, I'm, I'm glad you wrote it. Yeah, just I, I think it's, it's two things working together, right? So I think um, part of it is men who fail to f fulfill their responsibilities. But, right, I'm going to borrow the Jason Whitlock trademark, but, but there is a part of it in which um, women who are not comfortable and do not accept their role say, I want what he has. And, and this is, this is my, my main critique of feminism. It, it destroys femininity in the name of fighting um, sexism, right? So there, there, there's, a, there's a, a way in which a man could be doing all the things that he's supposed to do, right? He's, he's, he's loving his wife, he's training his kids, you know, he's doing everything that he's supposed to do. And it's still possible for, for his wife to be like, nah, I don't, I, I, I do what I want. I'm an, I'm an independent woman, right? I, 
you can't you're not my head and so on and so on and so forth or for his daughter to say no i i dress this way because this is this is the way of the world right is it less likely that that would be the case if he's doing his job sure but all of us um have a sin number so to speak right so all of us are tempted into doing things that appeal to to our flesh and and that's one of the things that feminism tempts women to do is is to say no you're what your responsibilities, what you have been given, the things that only you can do are not good enough. So you have to chase after what, what men want. Um, but that being said, again, my, my point of this piece, because last week my column was what's wrong with our girls. And this week my column is about the pro- prodigal father. So, you know, I'm an equal opportunity truth teller. But, but a big part of it, as I said, the, the culture war stuff that, that we're fighting, um, a lot of it is because men have abandoned their their responsibilities we've gone soft we've allowed all of our rough edges to be sanded down right we 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 speak I, jason there, there was a, i think it was last year i wrote about a piece or I, we we talked about a guy he's a a two-time best-selling new york times author so so they say it's the bar's low and he got into a verbal dispute with a woman in new york right and she said something to the effect of go back to your hood now the woman seemed intoxicated and this guy, oh, what, 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 what did you say? And he had personal trauma and there's a microaggression. So he, in classic passive aggressive nature, got online. He got his Twitter followers to, to search this woman out, find her employer. He tweeted her employer and said, look, is this the type of thing that you stand for? You said you're for equity and inclusion. He got the woman fired. And then he came up and did a follow up video and he said, well, you know, um, it's unfortunate that she had to get fired, but. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the problem. These guys are so passive. They, they are feline, not canine. He went out. He recruited his followers to find this woman and get her fired. And then when he, when he, when he took down the, the big cat, he didn't want to hold up the skins. He said, oh, no, I, it's not my fault. And, and, I, and I see this over and over again. And part of it is, is this is what happens when men have their rough edges sanded down. But there's still that part of them that, that is aggressive. It's just, it's passive aggressive. It's not assertiveness focused in on the right things for the right reason. It's, it's the cattiness, it's the neck rolling, it's the gossiping. All of these things have become much, much more normal um, in terms of uh, masculinity in our modern you know, social culture. And I think all of the, this, is, this is bad news for guys. And that's why it, it starts there and then the off-ramp is guys who no longer even want to be guys anymore, right? They want to nip and tuck and snip and have new names and new pronouns and wear new clothes because, again, that image of, of, of masculinity has been so beaten down and battered. And part of that is because um, too many fathers have, have been off in the wilderness and left their, their sons uh, vulnerable. The, the other part of your column that I loved on the back end you actually got into some solutions and, and they're really simple. And I love, you know, we dang near need to start the show every day talking about the success sequence mm-hmm. because we, we, we've made it so complicated that if, you know, right. if all these laws aren't passed, there's no chance that you can actually have success. And that's just demonstrably untrue. Mm-hmm. And the success sequence is very simple and virtually anybody can do it. Correct, and, and I love talking about the success sequence, and it's, it's very simple. If a young person, let's say somebody in their 20s, if they finish school, get a job, 
and have children after getting married, their chances of ending up in poverty by their mid thirties is single digits, right? Between about three and 7%, depending on, on, you know, the individual person. So I, I love it because it's tangible and it's concise now. And it creates, it presents a stark contrast to what the left gives you, which is particularly the black folk. Well, we can't do much until white supremacy is eradicated until systemic racism is toppled, right? Um, even I, I heard the, uh, I, I went back and I, I listened to the video of, you know, Stephen A. Smith and folks on First Take doing their post-mortem on this Duke volleyball thing. And, and Stephen A. starts by saying, we know that racism and prejudice exists and it needs to be eradicated. That, that's how the left tends to talk when it comes to, quote unquote, solutions to the problems facing black folk. The problem is that, is that all those things are so subjective they never give definitions. They're so amorphous that it's hard to measure them. But you can measure whether you finish school. You can measure workforce participation. And you can measure marriage rates and, and out of wedlock um, child rates, right? So I love it. It's a, it's a way to describe to people. And, and I'm not even saying that you have to say to young people, do this, do this. But even if you just describe things that they can do that are, that are within their power, that give them agency, that'll help improve their lives. To me, that's a much more powerful message than saying, um, you can't get to where you want to go until somebody else chooses to come and pick you up and take you there. And I, I completely reject that. And as I said, that's just more of that passive aggressive stuff. So you're right, I wanted to talk about some solutions. One of the other things I mentioned is that we need to get much more comfortable saying out loud, where is his father or her father as it may. When you see a 13-year-old and 15-year-old girl, girls carjacking a Uber Eats driver and end up killing the guy in Washington, D.C., before you talk about the failure of the school or the government, we should say, where are their fathers? When you see some blue-haired, uh, obviously neurotic woman on TikTok talking about how her son has always known that he's a girl and she's got him in a changing room and he's trying on dresses and she's asking him how he feels, we should say, where is his father? Right. And I, I close on, on in the in a, in a piece in this section, I said, when we heard Black Lives Matter, the most well-funded and supported, quote unquote, civil rights movement of the last half century. Have principles called black families and black villages that don't use the term man, husband, you know, or, or even boy. They don't use those terms at all. And they, they say that they want to disrupt the nuclear family, we should ask, where is the father? So before we give these people millions of dollars, these self-avowed feminist, lesbian, Marxist millions of dollars, we should ask, where do fathers fit in, in their worldview um, and their solutions to the problems that are facing black folk? But we don't do that because the people who control the narrative in the media and in corporate America and in our political processes don't think about fathers. To them, we are a cultural appendix. It's, it's fine if you have one, but it's not we're not particularly necessary. Um, and that's one of those things that has to change. Delano, I, I'm hoping to get you back on later this week because I, I, I'd love for you to give us a report on NatCon and what you've been doing this week. Sure. Uh, would love to hear about it and maybe you got some new thought or idea that may lead to a column based on mm -hmm. that, but uh, 
would love to have you back later this week to hear how that has gone. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jason. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, well, that's pretty much that's it. And that's all. I do want to add this about the success sequence. Just when we say finish school, you finish high school, get a job, get married, and have kids. It's virtually impossible to fall into poverty in America the way it used to be before, you know, we fell deep into this socialist Marxist crap. Finish high school, get a job, any job, get married and have kids. You won't be poor and broke. All right. That's a good message to end on. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. No regrets and our decisions We don't want to go to heaven with freedom It's my obligation, no hate